taking your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Uh, When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied to them, to the disciples, go and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with lepra are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are preached good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. This is God's word. Uh, after a uh, nine-week break, we're going to jump back into Matthew's Gospel, okay? So that's the first book in your New, New Testament. It's been a while. Um, and we left last time, Matthew chapter 10, with Jesus giving instructions to his disciples, okay? And it's this, Matthew 10 is this big, epic kind of big thing where he says, Hey, go out, proclaim the day of the Lord and the kingdom of God, heal the sick, raise the dead. And he promised that if they do these things in, uh, in his name, the spirit will be with them to speak and help them proclaim the message, which is going to be important because they're going to be brought before governors and kings. And Jesus says, don't worry about what you are to say in that moment, because the spirit of my father will give you words to speak, which brings with it some other instructions uh, in Matthew 10, that you're going to go out in the power of God and go out in the, in the spirit of the Lord with this awesome, you know, big message. But you're also going out as sheep among wolves and you're going out to carry a cross and you're going out and some of the towns you go to will reject you. And you are to wipe your feet and that that whole bit. So that's that's Matthew 10. Jesus giving this big, long Discourse and what it means to go out um, as apostles and as disciples. Matthew 11 then opens up showing that Jesus' words had already proven true, okay, for one particular disciple of Jesus, John, okay, John the Baptist, Jesus' uh, cousin. So John is out before Matthew 10 and after Matthew 10 proclaiming repentance to Israel before the day of the Lord. And that proclamation, okay, John's Obedience to Jesus, John's faithfulness to Jesus leads John right into prison. Okay? So this is where Matthew 11 opens. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, Are you the one? Okay, are you the guy or should we expect someone else else to come? So just back up a little bit and, and review who is John the Baptist. Um, he's kind of a big deal. Okay? He's a lot of a big deal. Luke 1, his, his birth is prophesied. Zechariah's in the temple. The angel shows up. It, big, awesome. I think we're going to spend the whole Advent season just on Zechariah's little thing here. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the power and the spirit of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. He will make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's the prophecy. Then Luke 1 and you child, you will be called prophet of the most high. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation knowledge of resurrection, knowledge of the age to come to his people. So this is what's prophesied about John, you know, in, in the belly. So what happens, Luke 2, or Luke 3, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, the word of God 
came to John, the son of Zechariah. And John goes out to the wilderness to do the locusts and honey bit. Matthew 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Just what the disciples are saying in Matthew 10. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Just what Jesus, Jesus copies John's message. I don't know if you know it. Like Jesus is a plagiarizer of John. Okay? John is a plagiarizer of all, of all the prophets. Right? So he preaches just like the prophets before him. Joel 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. For the day of the Lord is coming. It's, it's near. It's, it's close. Zephaniah 1. Be silent before the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is near Isaiah one to the end. The day of the Lord is near. So, so who's who's John the Baptist? He's exactly who Isaiah prophesied about. He's exactly who Malachi prophesied about. He's exactly who the angel told Zechariah he would be. Malachi three one. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Fast forward into John's story. John one. What do you say about yourself? Are are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Who are you? And John looks at them and says, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the path of the Lord, just as the prophet said. Okay. so John's point is John's a big deal in in Israel's story. In in the storyline of redemptive history, John the Baptist, he's a mountain. He's a big, big deal. So when the word of the Lord comes to him in the desert, he's obedient to it. Okay, he sees Jesus, recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, says, hey, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he goes about to to continue proclaiming a message of repentance for Israel before the day when the Messiah brings about a baptism of fire and judgment on them. Okay, this baptism of fire and judgment is coming. So you guys repent Turn, okay? Those who do, who repent of their sins and and trust in God and turn from their wickedness, they'll receive a baptism of the Spirit. Those who do not, who continue in their ways, they will receive a baptism of fire. And so I just want to put this all out here to show John is doing all the right things, okay? He's being obedient, he's walking in his calling, he's fulfilling his purpose, right? That's the message of the day. What is your purpose, 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 purpose? He's doing it, okay? But but John's confused, okay? John saw Jesus, recognized who he was. John was there. John baptized the guy. John heard the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son, saw the dove descend on him. This is, you know, the, the whole bit, he heard Jesus preach the same message that he preached about the day of the Lord and, and the spirit coming and the fire coming. And so in John's mind, Jesus is definitely the guy. Okay, like he doesn't have a question. You hear a voice from heaven and see the spirit descend. Your doubts kind of go away, right? You know what I mean? Like like Moses up on Sinai, hears the trumpet, sees the fire. He's like, yes, this is probably the guy. This is probably Yahweh just based on this. Okay, but at this point in Matthew 11, John, who's seen everything, John, who's been obedient, John, who has a right message and a right heart and a right lifestyle. Same same John. At this point, Matthew 11, he's starting to doubt. Why? Because he's heard reports about Jesus. That's how Matthew 11 starts. So he's hearing what Jesus is doing. But for John, there's not a lot of evidence of the spirit being given. As John would have understood the spirit being given in those new covenant passages in Ezekiel and and Jeremiah. right? Because when the spirit's given in that way, Israel's hearts are changed. They never turn from him Again, like there's all this big, big stuff. And there's definitely 
for John, no evidence of the fire of the day of the Lord coming down upon evildoers, right? So John's in prison like, okay, there's no spirit, there's no fire, what's going on, right? So look at John's situation, the fire of God is supposed to, at the day of the Lord, which John says is near, which Joel said was near, which Zephaniah said was near, which Jesus said was near, the fire of God is supposed to consume wicked kings on the earth, but for John, it's not happening. Instead, John is wasting away in prison from a rotten king. That the day of the Lord is supposed to deal with in fire. Does that make sense? Like, it's like, where's the fire? Herod's still in charge here. So he's got real doubts. There's a promised future that the Messiah is supposed to bring about. There, there's, I mean, we just, you can't read them all. But there, there's, a, there's a way things are supposed to be when the expected one is on the earth. Okay? Things change. Wicked kings go down low, humble servants come up high, the dead are raised. Like this whole expectation of what's to happen when the Messiah comes is not happening. And so what does John do with his doubts? He asks questions. Verse 2, when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him. And John asked honestly and, and sincerely, are you the one who is to come? Are you the guy? Because based on my life right now and based on the the life of my nation right now, I have my doubts. Okay? Are you the one or should we expect someone else? John sincerely asking, when I was um, younger, I taught this passage differently. Okay? I told um, our students that John did not have doubts about Jesus. But the disciples might have, so he sent them to Jesus because he knew what Jesus would say. And I told him that because John's a man of God. John is one full of faith, and John never doubts or has any moments of weakness. Okay, that's how I taught them this. Like, God, oh, John's not doubting at all. Um, I don't think that anymore. Age will get rid of some bad theology, you know? <laughs> I think John is in prison, about to get his head cut off. While Israel's long-awaited king is on the planet in the flesh, and he's not doing anything about it, and that puts John into a spiritual crisis. Okay, can you imagine? Like just a few miles away is the Lord of the universe, the King of heaven and earth, Israel's promised Messiah, and you're in prison, and he's not doing anything about it. So John sincerely asks, "What's the deal? I've spent my life in the wilderness, fasting and praying and giving myself to you and God and 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 this message, and I'm in prison, and you're not doing anything about it." So he has real doubts, and he asks real questions to Jesus. And so, how does Jesus handle John's John's doubts? Okay, what's he do? What's he say? The disciples asked him, "Are you the one, or should we expect someone else?" And how does Jesus reply with contempt at John? <laughs> With with mocking at John, with disgust at John. John, I can't believe you would even think that. can't believe you would question that. John, why don't you have enough faith? Or my favorite, John, the reason you're in prison and doubting is because you didn't pray enough and read enough and fast enough this week. Okay, if you'd have, if you'd have hit your, if you'd have gotten up on your alarm and prayed every day this week, you probably wouldn't have ended up in prison. Not, not at all. This is not what Jesus says to John. Instead, Jesus answers John's question with prophecy and history. Jesus answers John's question with the proof of faithfulness. Verse 4, Jesus replied, go and report to John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with lepra are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told good news. So it's just, it's just 
what has been prophesied, and then what is happening. Essentially, Jesus asks John's disciples, hey, go tell John, John, what did you expect the Messiah to do? What did Isaiah prophesy about me and my coming? Isaiah 35, say to those who have an anxious heart, like maybe John does in prison awaiting his beheading. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Okay, so Isaiah 35 is talking about the day of the Lord. He will come with vengeance and flip everything, change everything, fix everything. Then after the day of the Lord, the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The deaf ears unstopped. The lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of a mute shall, shall sing for joy. Okay, just like those good God almighty. Like, but everyone doing it. So this is what's, what's prophesied. This is what he tells John's disciples. And he says, this is what's prophesied. And this is what I'm doing, right? The lame are walking. The dead are raised. The mute are singing for joy. But clearly, John, I'm not doing it all right now. Okay. Because what's Isaiah 35? The vengeance and the recompense of God, the fire of the day of the Lord. That bit is not happening now. Okay? If that if Jesus were doing that portion right now, you wouldn't be in prison and Herod would not be sitting on my throne. Right? Herod's the wrong king for that throne. So what Jesus is doing is using evidence of his miracles in the present, not to show John that somehow the day of the Lord or the kingdom of God are somehow happening spiritually. But Jesus is using these things as signs to give John certainty that the day of the Lord actually will come. These things are a deposit. They're a down payment. The day of the Lord actually will come. And Jesus is indeed the one who will bring it about. So are you the one to come or should we expect another? Jesus says, no, don't expect another one. I'm the guy. The timing's off, okay? The timing is off. John, if you have doubts, look at the signs. Look what I'm doing. They're, they're a first fruits. They're a da- deposit, a down payment to prove the certainty of what's to come. This is what Isaiah said. This is what I'm doing now. And therefore, I will do everything else in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 24 and Isaiah 25 and Isaiah 40 to 66. I'm going to do it all. Here's the proof now to give you certainty. Does that make sense? It's a down payment. It's a deposit. I'm good for it. I'll do the bit. Okay? But there's a catch to Jesus' answer here. He says, yes, you can trust me because the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the whole bit. You can trust me, but, verse 6, blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Okay? So evidently, Jesus didn't think the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 were enough. So he adds an extra one here. Blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. So what Jesus is saying here is blessed is the one who can hold on in faith. Blessed is the one who can hold on and trust. Blessed is the one who, who stays on the path between this now part and, and what is not yet. Blessed is the one who walks. This is just James. I think we're going to read it in a second. Blessed is the one who walks through trial and, and who walks through difficulty and who walks through hardship and who can sit rotting in a prison cell and still hold fast and wait for the redemption. This is what he's saying. Blessed is the one who's not offended in the delay. And this is the whole game of your life. Okay? This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is what it means to follow Israel's God. It's to know God's word, to know God's promises in the covenants, and to know that Jesus is the one who's going to make good on those promises. To know all that and be happy about that and sing all that and live your life 
based on those things and yet understand and live with the tension that all of these promises come with a delay. There's a delay, guys. There just is. Isaiah 35 did not happen. Isaiah 2 has not happened. Isaiah 24, 25 have not happened. And we live with that. We live with this tension. John the Baptist, the greatest man born of a woman, we'll read later in Matthew 11. John the Baptist died in prison at the hands of a wicked pervert. That's that's how his story in this age ends. Okay? That's not the message that normally comes with follow your purpose, walk out your calling, be obedient. That, in, in, that means you'll be successful in whatever. More obedient than John the Baptist? More purposeful than John the Baptist? More walking in your calling than John the Baptist? He's the greatest man born of a woman. And this is how his life ended in this age. This is why Jesus says, blessed are you who's not offended. And how I work things out in this age. John died in prison, unoffended at God's delay. Okay? There's a day coming when wars cease, Isaiah 2. There's a day coming when wicked kings and, and principalities are brought low, Isaiah 25, and sin and sadness and tears and death are banished from our lives forever, Isaiah 25. That's real. That, that's promised. And so real faith is the Lord testing our hearts to wait for those days, to wait for Isaiah 2, 24, 25, without offense. This is what faith is. Real faith is understanding the stark contrast between this age and the age to come. Real faith is walking faithfully in this pattern of suffering before glory with an unoffended heart. Can you, do, can you do the John in prison bit and still trust in God's redemption and future to come? And this is the pattern uh, of the prophets. And it's the pattern of, of almost all the righteous, at least in the scripture. Know, they know the promises. In the case of the promise, prophets, they're even announcing the promises. Okay, They're the guys with the banner and the bullhorn saying, hey, here's what's going to happen. Knowing the promises, announcing the promises, but before the Lord's day of glory, enduring suffering. And even John follows this pattern of the prophets, not just in his suffering before glory. John follows this pattern of the prophets in his suffering before glory, mingled with lots of questions and, 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 and doubts and what is going on kind, kind of stuff. So Elijah, I don't know if you know Elijah's story. Elijah, again, like John, kind of a big deal in, in the story, calls down fire. On Mount Carmel. So he, he sees that. And, and Elijah does this thing. And you know what happens? The people still just keep worshiping Baal. Talk about a discouraging night of ministry. It's like, oh, it didn't work. Okay? They're still worshiping Baal. And then Jezebel begins to chase him. And Elijah asks that God would take his life. Well, men of God don't talk like that. Well, Elijah does. John the Baptist says, are, 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 you, are you the one? Jeremiah, most of his, our Bible group starts Jeremiah today. It's not fun reading to start. The end gets good. Most of Jeremiah's life, he's the only prophet 
of his generation that's actually speaking the word of God. There's all these other prophets that are, that are saying everything's going to be great. Your kings just keep doing what you're doing. You're awesome. Jeremiah's like, no. I see a boiling pot from the north about to tip over and what, you know. So he's got that going on. And, and so this sort of suffering, just being the only guy in the room saying the truth, along with the impending destruction and desolation of his beloved city and the people within that city. Uh, Jeremiah curses the day of his birth. So Elijah is saying, God, just kill me. Uh, Jeremiah said, I wish I'd never been born. John's, his doubts seem less than than those guys. So John's suffering and John's doubting before the day of redemption matches the pattern of the prophets. And then Jesus follows this same pattern, right? He is a Deuteronomy 18. He is the prophet like Moses who is to come. And then the apostles after Jesus follow the same pattern. Paul, Acts 14. It's necessary to suffer, to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Necessary for Paul. First Peter four twelve says, "Believers should not be disturbed. You shouldn't be surprised by their afflictions, as though something strange were happening. Because it happened to all the prophets. It happened to John. It happened to Jesus. It happened to the apostles right after. And it's been the testimony and the witness of disciples of Jesus for two thousand years. Because First Thessalonians three three, he says, we are Paul says we're destined for this." We're just following the pattern of our Lord. And we're not going to be offended at God's delay. We're going to hold fast and be faithful in it. So suffering is promised in this age, especially for the messengers and servants of God. Okay, there's just no making this age the age to come. Can't do it. Doesn't work. This is the pattern laid down. Okay, but, you know, lest we all leave here like, ooh, just... That was the worst Sunday ever. The reason the scripture emphasizes this pattern. okay, And again, all the prophets walk this pattern. Jesus walks this pattern. The apostles walk it. Like you got to be blind to not say this is likely how it goes. Okay. The reason the scripture emphasizes these things isn't so that we'll think about suffering all the time. Because that's weird. And, it, and it's it's wrong-headed. It's not what the Bible's saying. The reason Scripture emphasizes the suffering is to emphasize the glory that is to come. Like we're gonna we're gonna close our service today reading Scripture, and and it will be better than anything I've said for the last you know this whole time. Just Paul says it, bam, right, right there. The reason that, that this pattern is emphasized is to emphasize the glory to come. So what does Jesus tell John? He doesn't just say, yep, you're offended. Don't be offended. That's the whole bit. He said, blessed is the one who endures the trials and and tribulations and the sufferings due to my delay and is not offended. The the, the point is blessing. The point is the glory. That's what's going on. John 16, 33, Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, in this world, in this age, you will have tribulation. But what? Take heart. I've overcome the world, right? Speaking of future certainty, take heart. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have difficulty. You're going to endure suffering and you're going to endure suffering that will lead to doubt. Okay. If you haven't yet, you likely will. Our church, most of you already have. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. You're going to endure suffering that will lead to doubt, lead to to saying things like Elijah and Jeremiah and John the Baptist and even what Jesus quotes on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. But you guys 
Maybe you don't know. I'm telling you not. You should know. Psalm 22, Jesus quotes, ends with what? The resurrection, the glory. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's the whole bit. The song that the scripture plays over and over and over and over. In the, and not just in its teaching, but also in the pattern of people's lives. The song that's played is that if we suffer, 1 Peter 3.14, for righteousness sake. And assumedly suffer righteously, unoffended at God's timing. And unoffended at God's delay. Then we will be Blessed and considered, 2 Thessalonians 2.15, considered worthy of the kingdom of God. That's the song, okay? Like, in the age to come, we we won't... (laughs) Sorry, you're going to read it. It's going to be good, okay? This is what Jesus told John's disciples. Blessed is the one who's not offended at my delay of justice, right? Because it's not a power issue. Could Jesus take care of Herod like that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Could, could, could Jesus snap his fingers and fix everything right now? Yes, he could. So the offense is the delay. What is taking you so long? How many funerals are we going to do? How many wars are we going to have? Like, what is taking you so long? But blessed is the one who's not offended at God's delay of justice, not offended at his delay of restoring all things, not offended at his delay of of resurrection and redemption. So, yes, John, I'm the guy. Yes, here's the proof. So tell John to hold on after the suffering. There is glory guaranteed that cannot be compared. I went to it. And and, and guys, this this matters to us for, for a billion different reasons. That you understand the pattern. You see that God's timing is, is obviously not our timing. But the one that's pressing on me is this. Is that if we don't understand the pattern and the path of righteous suffering due to Jesus' merciful delay. That's why suffering exists is Jesus is delaying. That's why, and especially on like a global scale with wicked leaders and wicked kings and whatever. They're causing suffering that Jesus is going to end. And the reason Jesus is delaying is what? Second Peter 3. He's patient towards them, wishing they would repent. Giving, giving them time. If we don't understand this pattern and, and, and this righteous suffering due to Jesus' merciful delay. Or if we think that all the promises of God are, are ours for the taking in full right now. If we don't understand that, we'll become offended and hardened when things don't work out. It's just how the human heart works. How many of us have been angry, are angry, have been offended, are offended at God for not giving us things he never promised to give us before the resurrection? That mindset, with the exception of just general brattiness, like I don't want to not talk about that. This mindset... Is the defining mark, and I don't know if you guys pay attention to this stuff or whatever, but there's just this massive movement in in the earth right now, especially in the West. They're calling deconstruction. Okay, kids grow up in church and then turn to the Lord, turn away from the Lord, and Lois will not. All right, they grow up and 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 they they turn from the Lord, and because they're millennials and Gen Z, they have to put it on YouTube and talk about it. Okay, thousands of young people are leaving the faith. Like and it, and it's popular and it's got branding and it's this whole big deal and the reason is that suffering happened to them and things got hard and a loved one died or a ministry leader proved to be a wolf whatever but they were sold this message of the kingdom now of the glory now and that message is a delusion it is not real 
It's not real. And so when real life falls on that delusion like a ton of bricks and they're not prepared for it and they're not discipled for it, they walked away. They said, following Jesus is too hard. I was promised this, 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 this. I didn't get it. He must not be real. And they walk away from a God they claim they don't believe in. Okay. You see why it matters that we understand the pattern that's laid out before us and we take to heart Jesus' message to John. Blessed is the one who endures the delay. Blessed is the one who's not offended at me. Understanding the pattern, seeing it for what it is, from, from, again, from Genesis 3 to the end, girds us up, prepares us for suffering, and girds us up to not be offended at God's delay. It girds us up to wait. It girds us up to be patient. James 5, be patient, therefore, brothers, until what? The coming of the Lord. Be patient. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts in what? Establish your hearts. Be unoffended. Hold, hold fast. Grit your teeth. Hold on. Why? For the coming of the Lord's at hand. It's near as an example of suffering and patience. Brothers, take the prophets like Elijah, like Jeremiah, like John, like Jesus, like Paul, like people sitting in this room. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. We consider those blessed who in the delay remain unoffended at God, unoffended at his timing. Amanda, if you could come help us, please. So I just I want to close today encouraging those who, like, like John, doubt. Okay? And those who, like John, are fighting offense at God's delay to make all things new. And I just say, like, hold on. Okay? Hold on. Remain steadfast under trial. And the early and the late rains will come. Hold on. Galatians 6, 4... Don't grow weary in well-doing, for you will reap a harvest. Like, he's not blowing smoke. Like, this, this is the game. Hold on. Don't be offended. Stay steadfast. Ask questions. Do the John bit. And wake up tomorrow. Remind yourself, God raised Jesus from the dead as a first fruits of what's to come. So because of what's happened in history in the past, I can hope and, and, and set myself for what's going to come in the future. And I can remain unoffended. Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. Feast of well-aged wine, and he will swallow up on this mountain in Jerusalem. <laughs> he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that's spread over all nations. Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth. And it will be said on that day... And so with this story of John the Baptist in mind, I want you to picture Mount Zion in Jerusalem, big feast there. And what they say here, I imagine John the Baptist will shout the loudest. It will be said on that day, John standing up here, hopefully wearing what he wore then because I want to see it. It will be said on that day, 
John stands up and says, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Blessed is the one who's not offended at my delay. Because he's coming, guys. He's coming. We don't, we don't just say Maranatha is like a cool thing to say. It's actually an incredibly dorky thing to say, okay? We say Maranatha because we want him to come and fix everything and, and set all things right and raise the dead and wipe tears from our eyes and cook a steak. Like, that's, that's what we're longing for. That's what we're waiting for. But to get there, you have to remain steadfast under trial. Blessed is the one who remains unoffended at me and my delay. So I'm going to pray, um, pray for us, and I'll invite our elders up, up here to pray as well. Father, we ask you, uh, God, for a spirit and a heart like John that can sincerely ask you questions and say, God, this, this, I don't like this. This is not okay. So are you the one? God, I ask that by the Spirit you would confirm to us and all who doubt that you are indeed the one who will bring about the restoration of all things. You are indeed the one who will raise the dead. And the times and seasons, God, are set by the Father. So I ask you for the Spirit's help to remain unoffended. I ask you for the Spirit's help to remain steadfast under trial. Thank you, God, for for our future, that on that day we'll stand. All those who've suffered will stand. All those who've been patient will stand. All those who have fought the fight to stay unoffended will stand with John and and a multitude of, of, of saints who have remained steadfast and say together, this is our God. We have waited for him. Let us rejoice in our God and in his salvation. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's invite our elders up to the front.